Never waste a good crisis. Have you ever heard this statement before? Never waste a good crisis. You'll hear politicians say this. They'll say, say this phrase when a crisis takes place because they know that they can influence elections and talk about how their ideas are the best and how if you vote for me, I can fix these things and prevent from them from ever happening, etc. You'll hear businessmen say, never waste a good crisis as well because a crisis is an opportunity for profit. You figure out who needs what, how you can buy, how you can sell, etc. There's always an opportunity there. And wise people as well, wise people as well, should and do say what? Never waste a good crisis, meaning what? That this crisis has within it many lessons. Historians can appreciate, and wise people from everywhere, from every walk of life, can appreciate the lessons that are in this crisis. And so, there are some people who unfortunately go through life who blame everybody else. They will say, nothing is ever my fault, it's everybody else's fault, it's everybody else's fault. And the only thing that will bring the truth out and make them finally say, fine, I admit it, it is my fault, is what is a crisis? Is the harsh wake-up call in the form of some kind of a hardship. And this is what Allah Ta'ala describes when Allah Ta'ala tells us, and if as much as just a touch or a whiff of the punishment of your Lord should touch them, they would surely say, woe to us, indeed, we have been the ones who were doing wrong. This is a moment of honesty. When you're busy blaming everybody else, finally, some hardship touches you, a crisis takes place, and then you say, you know what? It was my fault all along. We want to be those type of people. We want to be the type of people who, when hardship goes on in our lives, we ask ourselves, what is the lesson here? What am I supposed to benefit? How can I personally learn from what I am going through? We should never waste a good crisis to learn and to benefit and to grow. But unfortunately, some of us, we do waste these opportunities. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, وَإِذَا مَسَّ الْإِنسَانَ الضُّرُّ دَعَانَا لِجَنْبِهِ أَوْ قَاعِدًا أَوْ قَائِمًا فَلَمَّا كَشَفْنَا عَنْهُ ضُرَّهُ مَرَّكَ أَنْ لَمْ يَدْعُنَا إِلَىٰ ضُرٍ مَسَّهُ كَذَلِكَ زُيِّنَ لِلْمُسْرِفِينَ مَا كَانُوا يَعْمَلُونَ Allah Ta'ala very incredibly says what? And when affliction touches a man, he calls upon us, whether he is lying on his side, or whether he is sitting, or whether he is standing. Those of you that are paying attention would know that Allah Ta'ala talks about those who remember Allah standing, sitting, or lying on their side. Allah Ta'ala reverses the order here. Why is that the case? Because this person, instead of during good times, standing, sitting, and lying on their side, instead you see the reverse, that you get injured. Something bad happens to you, and what happens? Usually you're in the hospital, lying down. And then when you get a little bit better, you can sit up, and then finally you can stand up. And so these people are those who they get afflicted by something, and then they are calling upon Allah Ta'ala when they are what? Lying, sitting, or standing, and this could be a reference to them getting better, getting over the sickness, getting over the injury, life, life is getting easier upon them, and then what happens next? Then they continue to disobey as if they had never called upon Allah Ta'ala, as if Allah Ta'ala had never removed that affliction from them. They wasted a good crisis. How does Allah Ta'ala refer to these people? كَذَلِكَ زُيْنَ لِلْمُسْرِفِينَ I thought that was so fascinating. I came across this ayah and I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, subhanAllah, israf? Israf is to waste. What are they wasting? Allah Ta'ala didn't mention they had wealth. Allah Ta'ala didn't mention, I didn't see within the ayah, maybe within the greater context, but within the ayah itself, 
it doesn't mention what they were wasting. And then you think about it and you realize, oh, they wasted an opportunity to learn and to grow and to benefit. So Allah calls them what? Musrifeen, Israf, the wasters. You went through this hardship. You were in the hospital, you were lying down, and then finally you s- s- were able to sit up and then stand up, and now you got better. And now you learned from this. You remembered Allah, you begged Allah, and Allah brought you out of that hardship. He didn't have to. You could have been stuck that way, but Allah Ta'ala brought you out of that hardship. And so, if you forget now, if you don't learn from this, you are what? Min al-Musrifeen. May Allah Ta'ala protect us. Allah la taj'alna minhum. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. So, the believer is the one who is positive. Mutafail. The believer is supposed to be positive, even in times of hardship, because hardship benefits the believer. Whereas nowadays, we find that it's very popular to complain, even when nothing bad is happening. Forget about hardship, just to complain, even when nothing is wrong. Na'udhu billah. Many of us are so negative, unfortunately, that if you were to sit and record every sentence spoken throughout that person's day, and check them, either as negative or a positive statement, you would overwhelmingly find that most of the statements that we say, many of us, unfortunately, are just one complaint after the other. Waking up in the morning and complaining about how you feel. Oh, I don't feel so good. I don't know this, I don't know that. SubhanAllah, what about the dua for waking up? Aren't you grateful that Allah Ta'ala gave you life in the morning? No, no, forget that dua. I'm going to complain. Oh, I don't feel this, I feel that, I don't know. Then you get into your car, traffic. Alhamdulillah, the car works, but that doesn't, you don't mention that. The dua for traveling, the fact that you have a car that's functioning. No, 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 but the traffic, man, complain. Then, oh, I was at work and I was stressed out so much. Never mind the fact that you have a job and you have an income. No, no, you forgot about that. But the people at work, it was stressful. So what do you do? You talk about what wasn't working when you come home. You come home to talk about who bothered you, who disappointed you, who offended you. Negative, 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 the whole day through. Meanwhile, subhanAllah, realistically speaking, it's better than most people. What you're going through is much easier than what most people are going through. Let's put it in different terms. Do you know how many times we inhale and exhale throughout the day? Somewhere in the vicinity of 22,000 times we inhale and exhale. Did you use one of them to just say from your heart, sincerely, alhamdulillah? Out of 22,000 breaths, did you use one of them to be grateful, to say something of gratitude, to say something positive? This begs the question, is it possible for somebody to be addicted to sadness? Is it possible to be addicted to sadness? And the answer is, unfortunately, yes, for many different reasons. Some reasons that are more understandable, some of which are not so reasonable. Some people, they are sad. Why? Because drama gives them meaning. You have something to, to struggle for. You have something to strive for. And without that, they find no meaning in their lives. Some people are sad for no reason, and being sad for no reason is simply unacceptable, and so they self-sabotage to create reasons to be sad, and now their sadness is justified. So yes, this is an example of what? Being addicted to sadness. A second example would be people who use the drama in their life as a platform for attention. Because, let's be honest, without some sort of sob stories... Some people are painfully boring. They don't have anything going on in their life. They don't have anything to talk about. So all they can do is sit around and complain, and this is the way they connect to others. This is the way that they bond. They have nothing else to say other than complaining about their lives. And the third possibility is that some people complain because it, is, it creates a moral superiority. 
This is how it can become addictive, because it gives you moral superiority. I'm suffering, you're not, therefore I'm better than you. This attitude is very prevalent. Unfortunately, it's popular and it is addictive. Think about it. This person doesn't have to learn anything about morality, right versus wrong, ethics, nor do they have to, after learning, apply they don't have to do those things. Why? Because their suffering is sufficient to make them morally superior. And as long as Muslims maintain this type of attitude, the idea that our superiority comes from our victimhood, then subhanAllah, as an ummah, we will never rise up. And unfortunately, many of us have this mindset. You have to keep in mind, never forget that Allah Ta'ala is what? Al-Wahhab. One of the beautiful names of Allah Ta'ala, Al-Wahhab. The one who gives hibah, gives gifts over and over and over again, constantly giving gifts. Allah Ta'ala loves to give gifts. And if you complain, and if you love to complain, then Allah Ta'ala will give you plenty to complain about because that's what you love. So you might want to take a look at your own lifestyle and your own speech and ask yourself, am I someone who is addicted to negativity? Am I addicted to sadness? On the flip side, definitely there are people who have gone through different types of trauma. For example, childhood trauma can happen through parents that are abusive. And you often find that abusive parents raise children that subconsciously seek out abusive relationships because of the nostalgic feeling or because it feels familiar. This is something that if you have gone through, you need to seek out some, some type of therapy. You need to speak to a specialist. You need to address this type of trauma. Some parents are neglectful, workaholics. They don't spend time with their kids. In fact, they do quite the opposite. They praise their children for being alone for such long periods of time. Oh, you're such a good kid. You can be alone in your room for so many hours. And they keep nurturing this idea that it's a, your strength and your best quality, that you are completely independent. What happens as a result? These kids grow into adults. And then as adults, the moment that they get into a relationship that becomes a little bit serious, a little bit interdependent, they start to push back. They want to get out. They want to destroy that relationship because they think that their independence is their highest virtue. Again, you find that these people are miserable. Why? Because they push away every relationship. This is due to childhood trauma. You find that some parents play favorites amongst their kids. And so the kids grow into adults who treat their friends like everything is a competition, a competition for attention. When you have a friend and that friend makes another friend, you're supposed to say, hey, we're a group now. You're not supposed to say, no, we're vying for this person's attention. This can come from some sort of, unfortunately, childhood trauma of parents, parents that play favorites. And so they embrace this attitude, which is very, very dangerous. And they end up sabotaging their friendships, relationships, and again, they remain perpetually sad. And some children choose a career path or lifestyle that is disappointing to their parents and their guilt causes them to sabotage their own success. And so again, you find that they seem to be addicted to sadness. Look, the list goes on and on and on. There are so many different ways that a person may have this type of trauma in their life. We could spend all day trying to list different ways in which people are victimized. But the question still lingers. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to work on yourself? Perhaps go to therapy? Learn from your past? Or will you embrace victimhood and feel bad for yourself and therefore expect nothing from yourself? That's what it boils down to, isn't it? Zero expectation. We're all very familiar with the term fragile. When something is fragile, it means that it gets worse due to hardship, right? Let's say a glass cup, due to hardship, it falls, it hits the ground, it shatters, it was fragile. We all know this term. And when you ask, what is the opposite? Most people say, oh, the opposite of fragile is resilient, obviously. 
which is actually false. Resilient means something that isn't affected by hardship, like a cup, like let's say a plastic bottle. I have a plastic bottle, I could drop it 100 times and it won't get affected, it won't crack. It's resilient. But that's not the opposite of fragile. Fragile would be, the opposite would be, if every time I dropped it, it got better. It doesn't just resist it, it gets better with each time it gets damage done to it. Do you know what the word is for that? You don't, because there is no word for that. In fact, the term for it is anti-fragile, and there's a book by uh, Nassim Thadib. He wrote a book called Anti-Fragile, Things That Gain From Disorder. He wrote a whole book about the fact that we don't have a, a, an accurate term to describe things that gain from disorder. Like human beings, we have to lift weights, rip the muscle, and then you get stronger. That's not resilience. That's anti-fragile. You're gaining from the rip. Same thing with our immune system. And he goes on. He gives so many examples of the economy. He gives uh, examples of human beings. And he talks about the, uh, what's it called, the medical system. He gives, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of all over the place as a book. But still, the concept is very much important. The fact that we don't think with these terms because we don't even have the vocabulary for it. The fact that we don't realize that we become stronger due to hardship. The fact that everybody here knows when I say PTSD, I'm sure everybody knows about post-traumatic post stress disorder. We've all heard this term before. But if I say PTG, what's PTG? Post-traumatic growth. Nobody knows about that. Because we rarely think to ourselves, oh, you can go through trauma in your life and grow from it. You can improve from it. You can come out a stronger, better person. We don't even know the terms. We're so familiar with the first one, post-traumatic stress disorder. I have a disorder now because of the trauma. Yes, that's real. I'm not trying to downplay it. But I'm simply acknowledging the fact that, subhanAllah, we need the vocabulary and the recognition that hardship can make us stronger. The Prophet ﷺ says something extremely beautiful when he made the, the dua and he taught us this dua. Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'altahu sahla wa anta taj'alu al-huzna idha shi'ta sahla. Many of us know this dua, and this is a very beautiful dua. It means, oh Allah, there is no ease except what you make easy. And if you please, you can make sorrow easy. I thought this was such a fascinating dua. The first time I heard this hadith, I was completely baffled by it. Why? Because first of all, it is a dua. It's beginning with Allahumma, and a dua is usually a request. And so you expect that you're going to be asking for something. And the second point is that you're mentioning how Allah has full power to make things easy. And so therefore, I was expecting that the request would be what? Oh Allah, you have full control, I'm going through a hardship, remove my hardship. Right? Seems pretty straightforward. I'm going through hardship, you have full power, take away my hardship. That's not the dua. Instead, the dua is, you can make hardship easy. Meaning, don't get rid of the hardship, it can stay. I just want the ability to handle it. Subhanallah. That is a prophetic dua that requires us thought. Unfortunately, we don't think about these things. We make the dua, we repeat it, we teach it to our kids, but we don't take a second to think about the depth, the attitude that comes with such a dua. It is truly remarkable. In other words, I'm not asking you to make life easier. I'm asking you to make me tougher. I think this is a paradigm shift for many of us. Don't ask for a lighter load on your back. That'll just make you duller and weaker. Rather, ask for more strength to carry a heavier load. Subhanallah. What a powerful dua. What an incredible concept. And isn't it so fitting that you could take a lump of clay and it is soft and therefore useless and yet you can mold it into a useful shape and then place it in a fire again and again and again. Multiple times it needs to heat up and cool and heat up and cool and then it will get hard. And now it can be used for something. For example, like a pot that is actually useful to retain precious things, to be of some kind of use. 
Is it any wonder that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made us out of clay? Subhanallah. Is it any wonder that Allah ta'ala is teaching us a lesson? You're going to be useless, soft, lump, until I put you through something. The fire, the fitna, the fatan has to put you through that fire. That's what's going to make you tougher. May Allah ta'ala give us understanding. Inshallah, we'll continue with the second khutbah. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Muhammad wa ala alayhi wa sallam, wa sallam, wa sallam, wa sallam, Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa sallam, wa rasulillah. Abu Ayyub al-Ansari, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he narrated that, جَاءَ رَجُلٌ إِلَى النَّبِي صَلَى اللَّهُ فَقَالْ يَا رَسُولُ اللَّهُ عَلِّمْنِي وَأَوْجِزُ A man came to the Prophet and said, Oh, Messenger of Allah, teach me something, but make it short. <laughs> Summarize, just something quick. Not the most polite way of speaking, but, you know, Bedouin, Arab, maybe he's got a little bit of a rough personality, so, you know, okay, you're the Messenger of Allah, teach me something, but, you know, make it quick. Not very best behavior, but still, subhanAllah. The Prophet responds and says what? فقال, إذا قمت في صلاتك فصلي صلاة مودع ولا تكلم بكلام تعتذر منه وأجمع اليأس عما في أيد الناس Three words of advice. Very simple, very straightforward. Number one, when you stand for prayer, prayer as it, pray as if it's your final prayer. Make it your farewell salah. Pray every single prayer like it's your last. What is the concept here? You will have a last prayer. We don't think about this. There will be the last time you pray your salah. And your salah is your connection and your conversation with Allah. And therefore, by extension, if you will have your last salah, your last conversation with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on this earth, then yes, you will have your last conversation with every single person on this earth. There will be that last conversation. And we don't know when it's going to be. We don't know which individual from our loved ones is either going to go or is it going to be us that goes. So enjoy the little time that you have on this earth and be positive and grateful for every moment. Stop complaining throughout your days. Why do you want to make the last words that you say to your family members, to your loved ones, to your friends, something negative, something complaining? Why? Pray your prayer as if it's your last. Have this reality in your mind. And inshallah ta'ala, you'll take advantage, full advantage of the life you have in front of you. And don't say something that you're going to later have to regret or apologize for. This is similar to the hadith. Whoever believes in Allah on the last day should speak good or be silent. Subhanallah. Speak good or be silent so you can stop regretting. Stop arguing over every irresponsible statement you let slip out of your mouth. Speak beauty into the world. And use your God-given ability, your God-given voice, alhamdulillah. Use it for something positive. Words of positivity. Try to guide others. Try to say something good about your life and about the people around you. Try to advise instead of complaining. And the third point is what? Which means, and give up hope for what other people have. Stop living your life online, swiping and seeing what everybody else is doing and saying, man, I wish I was living their life instead of mine. Stop looking into the parking lot and saying, oh, well, he has that car and, and that one has that car and they have that car. I wish I had this and that and the other. Stop looking at what people are wearing and thinking to yourself, I wish, why does that person dress this way or has that, has that phone or that watch or whatever the case may be. Stop living through other people enviously. Why? Because you don't worry about what other people have. You're looking forward to what you will have with your Lord. This life is temporary. They can, anybody can have this dunya. It'll come and go. 
what is precious, what you look forward to, because you know that your salah is going to be one day your last. Because you recognize that one day it's going to be the end. And so you're not looking forward to what people have in this life, what I have in this life. Yes, things come and go, but at the end of the day, I'm looking forward to the treasures with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's what I invest in. That's what I'm looking forward to. This is the attitude of the believer. May Allah ta'ala make us of those who are anti-fragile. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those who are constantly strengthening due to hardship. May Allah ta'ala make us of those who embrace a crisis and a difficulty and learn from it and benefit from it instead of just complaining about it. Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'altahu sahla wa anta taj'alul huzna idha shi'ta sahla. Oh Allah, there is no ease except what you make easy. And if you please, you can even make sorrow easy. 